Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Whew. Good luck if you make the Swifties mad. After Ticketmaster botched the rollout of Taylor Swift tickets for her latest tour, the company has been in an even hotter seat than they were years ago when Pearl Jam rallied their fans against the company. And with yesterday's announcement that Beyonce tickets are going on sale soon, the spotlight will stay on. So... Today, we try to unravel the mysteries of ticket prices as we talk with musicians and experts about how the live music business really works. Are superstars just too in demand? Does the Ticketmaster-led corporate conglomerate have too much control over the music industry? That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Just when you think there's nothing that can bring together this polarized country, something goes wrong with the Taylor Swift tickets and Ticketmaster gets hauled before the Senate again, where last week Richard Blumenthal actually thanked the company's CEO. Mr. Berktold, I want to congratulate and thank you for an absolutely stunning achievement. You have brought together Republicans and Democrats in an absolutely unified cause. If you like me, had been dimly aware there was something going on with Ticketmaster, either in these last few weeks or as far back as 1992 when Pearl Jam feuded with the corporation, but you weren't quite sure what was going on, then this show is for you. We're going to look at the recent problems, survey the company's past, and try to understand why Ticketmaster has become an emblem for what's wrong with American capitalism. We've got musicians, a journalist, and an antitrust expert, of course, Joining us first, we've got Clyde Lawrence and Jordan Cohen, who are parts of the band Lawrence. Clyde Lawrence uh, testified at the Senate Judiciary hearing on Ticketmaster and Live Nation's practices. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, Clyde, let's start with you. I mean, you're a smaller band based on the East Coast. You've been touring since 2016. And, you know, you joke that you can only dream of the kinds of ticket sales that Taylor Swift gets. But at the same time, you kind of have some similar complaints. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I'm not 100% sure what Taylor Swift's exact complaints (laughs) are. You haven't been texting? (laughs) No, I mean, I I haven't been texting and the the exact circumstances of her, of, of, you know, her ticket sales failing um, are somewhat, you know, in a lot of ways, tangential to a lot of the issues that we have Mm. with the live music industry. And it goes beyond 
just Live Nation. But if if what you mean by that is that Taylor Swift and certainly her fans feels like there are issues that need to be corrected, um, you know, that we're certainly aligned with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan Cohen, you're the tour manager for the band mm-hmm. as well as the tenor saxophonist. From your perspective, what goes wrong with Ticketmaster for you all? Like, what's the actual beef about? Yeah, well, again, like as Clyde's kind of mentioning, if we're talking just about Ticketmaster, the main issues to us are just that, and us being the artist, Mm -hmm. is that the fees that they're setting are so outrageously high, which kind of inflates the the cost of admission into a show, into a Lawrence show. Mm-hmm. So if we're setting our ticket price at $30 based on our calculations of what we think our show is worth and what we think our fans should pay, next thing you know, the show is maybe $40, $45. And now that's actually pricing out a lot of our fans. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, Ticketmaster kind of is taking a lot of control and setting what the end price of a ticket might be, of what a show might be. Um, and mind you, that's for a relatively inexpensive show. Imagining we're imagine we're selling tickets at what we think should be a hundred dollar price point, but after the Ticketmaster fees, it could be $140, hundred forty, hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. And of course, the artist doesn't get any cent of that additional fee that Ticketmaster is uh, adding on. And, right. that, and that's the case with, it goes beyond Ticketmaster. That's the case with all ticket right. ticket companies add these fees on that. Um, not only do we not get a, a cent of the actual money, but we have zero say in what that fee is going to be. And often don't even know what it's going to be until the show actually goes on sale. And we log on to check just like all of our fans do. Got it. I mean, maybe you two can walk us through the economics of like, you know, there's this is the pie, this ticket price. (laughs) And then, you know, breaking it down into like what actually ends up dropping into like the band's bank account as like profit, you know, or or whatever it is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's like a great question that, frankly, not enough artists of all sizes um, can even like could even walk you through. We've I've asked that question when I was doing research for the New York Times op-ed that we wrote. Um, and frankly, like not enough artists can do that for their own tickets. But here's here's what it generally looks like for us. And I think a lot of other artists, if they were to look into their stuff. Um, so let's say that we are charging a thirty dollar ticket for our concert. Um, that's the price that we choose to set. Um, Ticketmaster will typically add a twelve dollar ish That's honestly on the lower end for them service fee. So the fan is actually paying $42 for their ticket that $12 off the top. We don't get a single cent of that. So that brings you down to $30 per ticket. The venue will then typically charge essentially a below the, below the surface ticket fee to us, the artists. So like Hmm. $3 of that $30, they will shave right off the top and call it what they call a facility fee, Mm -hmm. um, which is a similarly opaque fee. And so the, the actual like gross ticket price that we're basing the show's deal off of will start at like 27 out of the $42 that the fans spent. Then we have a deal with the venue that, you know, I could spend much longer than the time we have going to the specifics of the different types of deals that work. There are guarantees. There are, um, 
profit sharing. There's all these different things. But generally speaking, after the cost of the show that the promoter, aka Live Nation's costs are covered, which is those are typically recouped before the profit is shared. Um, we will end up with maybe about, let's say, 12 to $15 of that 27 aka the original 42 but that's still before our costs are covered so things like our travel accommodations tour bus um our touring crew that we travel with um even just like basic business operation costs like um insurance and other types of basic overhead you know there's a litany obviously of costs it's both like a touring van and a small business um and so once all those things are co- covered in our case, because we're, we take a lot of pride in being like really efficient while putting on a great show, we'll end up with maybe about $6 out of that mm-hmm. ticket that people, that people spent 42 on and a lot of other bands of all sizes, um, much smaller than us and much bigger than us. will tell you that they end up with even less or none at all, you know, wow. great. So, yeah, I mean, just to, to summarize for folks, you know, the, the, ticket price that someone's actually the amount charged to someone's credit card is going to be 42 bucks then there's going to be a variety of fees that go to this conglomerate that is you know we call Ticketmaster live nation that's going to be you know the ticketing service and the promoter and the venue and and these different things with these kind of complex deals and as you kind of follow that you whittle down that money at the end you're going to get to about six bucks dropping into your bank account which is about 15 percent of what a fan uh would have paid so that to me that feels like the core of the issue for you all is just like you're asking fans to pay x but you're only getting 15 percent of x to actually you know do all the things that then you need to because you need to go record more music and you need to you know be a band and pay people's salaries and all those things yeah and, and to be clear like a lot of a lot of that money is going towards you know, costs that just are costs, you know, a lot of a plenty of the money is not going into the pocket of some combination of the venue promoter and ticketing company, all of which are one entity. Like, <laughs> you know, I want to make that clear. There are plenty of legitimate costs that they have from their staff and all of their overhead costs, plenty of, oh, uh, plenty of costs that we have that actually take, you know, putting on a show. And we truly believe that live nation hundred percent deserves to make a great, profit on the show just like we do but yes ultimately we feel that some changes can be made to make it not six dollars out of 42 yeah let's bring in another guest let's bring in august brown who's a staff writer for the la times he wrote the recent article everyone hates Ticketmaster." is everyone wrong welcome august hey thanks for having me on so if you, as you've been listening to Clyde Lawrence and Jordan Cohen of the band uh, Lawrence talk about these issues, does this reflect what you see as happening in the, you know, generally speaking for musicians out there? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed their, their Senate testimony uh, back at the hearing, and I thought it was really uh, elucidating to see what kind of working musicians are up against today. And, um, you know, I think I'm I'm not here to defend Ticketmaster per se, but I think uh, their testimony makes a great argument that probably concerts should be even more expensive than they are actually, because, you know, they they do get such a slim slice of the pie. And when you break it down as the way they just did, 
it, it illustrates how many other people in the ecosystem are making money, except the people that you're actually there to see. And, you know, in decades past, up until about like the 2000s and the 2010s, you know, artists could make a lot more money on recorded music. And the expectation was is that touring was kind of an advertisement for your album. And as things like First Napster and then Spotify, you know, kind of squeezed all but the elite tier out of being able to make a living on their records, you know, touring has become this really the only place that artists could make a decent living now. And especially given the last few years of, you know, inflation and kind of especially having to bounce back from the pandemic, you know, I think artists have become very cognizant of how thin these margins are right now because there's nowhere else to make it up. And when you look around to see who's going to absorb the blame of that, you know, this big multinational corporation that's slapping on these 30, 40 percent fees without kind of clear explanation as to where that money is going and why, uh, it makes them a really easy target. I think fans and artists and a lot of people paying to go to concerts are rightly extremely frustrated by this. Uh, but the story as to like why these fees arose and where they're going and the measures that it would take to correct them will also have some additional consequences that like, unfortunately, like any other way to solve a lot of these problems will also likely result in even higher fees for fans. And I think it's in everyone's interest to kind of understand, like, here's what bands are up against and what, you know, going to a concert should probably actually cost to make everyone have a sustainable living. Yeah. We're talking about, why everyone, or at least a lot of people, hate Ticketmaster, which is a subsidiary of Live Nation Entertainment. Uh, leading us off, we've been lucky enough to be joined by Clyde Lawrence, co-founder of the band Lawrence, who testified at the January 24th Senate Judiciary hearing on Ticketmaster and Live Nation practices. Thanks for joining us, Clyde. Happy to be here. Yeah. And we've also been joined by Jordan Cohen, who's the tour manager and tenor saxophonist for the band Lawrence as well. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Of course, thank you. Yeah. We're also joined by August Brown, who's going to stick with us after the break. Uh, he's a staff writer for the LA Times who wrote the recent article, Everyone Hates Ticketmaster, Is Everyone Wrong? We're going to talk a lot more about this after the break, but we'd love to hear from you. You know, Have you been priced out of seeing your favorite bands in concert or sports teams? You should get in touch with us. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. It's me. Always rooting for 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. That's Antihero by Taylor Swift that you're hearing. It was the ticket debacle uh, at the end of last year that brought Ticketmaster back into the headlines, and they've been staying there for a variety of reasons, uh, including uh, a Senate Judiciary hearing um, last week. We are joined this morning by August Brown, staff writer for the L.A. Times, who wrote the recent article, Everyone Hates Ticketmaster. Is everyone wrong? And I guess that hearing, if you're looking it up on C-SPAN, which I'm sure you all are, is January 24th, uh, which was uh, just before last week. Um, want to bring in a, another guest, Diana Moss, president of the American Antitrust Institute. Welcome, Diana. Thanks. <clears throat> Good to be here. And, of course, we would like to hear from you as well. Have you been priced out of seeing your favorite bands in concert or sports teams? One listener wrote in to say, In 1987, I bought tickets to see you 2 at the Cow Palace. I still have this ticket, and the price was $18.75. Making tickets so expensive comes at the expense of musical culture, making concert going a rare night out for most. You can give us a call to share your stories. The number is 866 733 86. That's 866-733-6786. One perspective we're really interested in is venue operators. Is your ability to book acts and bring revenue impacted by Live Nation? You can give us a call at that number or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. Um, Diana, we were hoping that you could give us a little pocket history here of how Ticketmaster, Live Nation, and this other set of companies that have been kind of snatched up by the same conglomerate, how they all came to roll up and what sort of are the rules of, of that conglomerate? Yeah, I think that backstory is really important to what we have been uh, seeing in terms of um, harmful competitive effects and harm to consumers and artists and smaller uh, businesses in, in the live entertainment supply chain. So it really all started in 2010 when Live Nation, you know, big concert promoter and venue manager, um, you know, proposed to merge with Ticketmaster, which even then, even then in 2010 had about an 80% market share. So mm-hmm. what that merger did, we call it a vertical merger, was put together um, an entire supply chain, uh, which covers, you know, the wingspan of the, of the company is enormous. It covers everything from artist management to uh, promotion to venues to primary ticketing and now uh, into secondary ticketing. So when you have companies with enormous market shares uh, along most of those levels and you put them together, it creates just supercharged incentives for the company to ice out smaller rivals, like smaller promoters, smaller venues that don't affiliate, um, and also to, to squeeze out the secondary market, make it more difficult for that to um, operate efficiently. And that's exactly what we've seen. And you know, the hallmark of a big monopoly like this is that there's no choice. There's no choice for artists, and there's no choice for, uh, for consumers. Yeah. You know, I feel like you're also describing a little bit of an emergent strain of antitrust thinking, which says that these kinds of companies, even if you couldn't prove they were a monopoly by some technical definition, has so much concentrated market power that they have a variety of effects that are bad for marketplaces, for producers, for consumers. It's not just right about the ticket price, although that may be an indication of some problems, but it's this broader set uh, of powers that a company like that can exert in some kind of marketplace. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we are seeing the resurgence of the monopoly problem in, in the United States. You know, we've had pretty, pretty lax antitrust enforcement over the last 40 years. And we've seen monopolies pop up all over. We have them in agricultural biotech. We have them in live uh, events. We, we, also, and we see, have them in digital tech with the platforms, but you know, we're also seeing the emergence of, of what we call these, these oligopolies, where you just have two, maybe three firms competing. None of that is good for competition. I mean, the incentives are not to compete. The incentives are to limit competition from smaller, innovative rivals, smaller players. And everyone suffers from that. So yeah, it is part and parcel of a bigger monopoly problem in America. What other bit of history before we uh, turn back to Hugs Brown? There, when Ticketmaster and Live Nation were allowed to merge because a merger like this was uh, subject to some kind of governmental approval, um, they entered into a consent decree, like basically a set of rules that they would choose to operate by going forward. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it, it feels like that's the sort of thing that should constrain some of these um, anti-competitive behaviors that you're talking about. Sure. So, you know, in a vertical merger, um, the, the, you know, the gestalt has been for years that, wow, you know, you put, you put uh, different businesses together into a supply chain under a single ownership. Wow, that's got to really generate some benefits for consumers, you know, better coordination, better, uh, you know, more innovation, high quality products. Um, and so antitrust enforcers have gone really easy on those kinds of vertical mergers. And, and instead of either moving to block them, um, by going to federal court to get an injunction, instead of requiring divestitures or spin-offs, which would mm-hmm. reduce the market power of the company, they breakups. Take what we We're talking about breaking risk. them up. Yeah, exactly. And that's not what DOJ did. In fact, you know, they they should have blocked it, or they should have found a way to reduce this incredible market power the firm would have. Um, instead, they held them to a, a bunch of rules and requirements that would prevent them from discriminating against rivals and retaliating against venues and a whole list. Well, you know, we, we know those don't work. Those types of remedies don't work because you haven't changed the, the incentives for the company to exercise its market power by one iota. All you've said is you can continue to operate as a powerful company, but you have to comply with these, these requirements. And in 2020, when the DOJ reopened the consent order, they, they had six venues on record anonymously saying they had been threatened if they didn't take the Ticketmaster uh, platform along with, um, along with the other services. So, so yeah, a real failure of antitrust enforcement. Yeah. You know, August Brown, you know, in your piece, one of the things that's um, pretty fascinating about it is the way that you kind of Go try and look at, okay, this, I hear these criticisms from fans and musicians, but sort of what are the alternatives to Ticketmaster? And can you kind of walk us through that reporting process and kind of what conclusions you, you came to? Yeah, I think it's, it's important to know that the kind of the skeleton key to all of this is that Ticketmaster is not in the business of selling tickets to fans per se. Like you are not their main client. They're pro- they're, what they do is they pay advances out to venues, most specifically and promoters, for the right to be able to sell tickets to events. And competition normally would open up a lot of room to kind of undercut some of those costs. Like if Ticketmaster's charging a $20 fee and someone can, you know, figure out a way to make it work for 15, that ordinarily would be, you know, the way that they could bring prices down. And historically, you know, that's been, um, you know, when you're looking at kind of antitrust concerns, you know, if 
like historically, if you're driving down prices for consumers, they take a much kind of longer leash with that kind of a thing. Uh, but the problem is, is that if a, a, co a competitor Ticketmaster wants to win the right to sell tickets to things, the way they'll get that concert is by bidding up the, the advances. So more companies kind of like bidding out for like a Taylor Swift tour, you know, at the highest end or even like middle tier tours means like an advance that would be $100,000 for a show goes up to 125, 150. And, you know, so this is a, a rare case for introducing more competition. You know, while I think it's good, I think Live Nation and Ticketmaster has incredibly outsized power for a variety of reasons. You know, this is one instance where like more competition isn't necessarily going to inherently drive prices down. And if, there are a lot of reasons why this is a very kind of unhealthy oligopoly and like, you know, that this company needs to have more competition just to have a fairer play to, you know, not have one firm running all aspects of the live music industry. But it depends on the kind of problem that you want to solve. If the problem is just that you feel like tickets are too expensive, competition isn't necessarily going to be the silver bullet that fixes it. Hmm. But, um, you know, hearing from Lawrence and hearing from a lot of other venues and hearing in my own reporting, you know, one thing that comes up a lot is that there is within the consent decree, there is supposed to be a wall between Live Nation and Ticketmaster that if you want to go with Live Nation as a promoter, but use a different ticketer, they're not supposed to be able to retaliate against you. And if you want to use Ticketmaster, but you're a different promoter, you know, that should be able to be fine. You should be able to use Ticketmaster like a utility almost. But the thing that kept coming up a lot in my reporting is that Live Nation always seems to know when Ticketmaster is going with someone else and they can kind of outbid them for the same show. Or if you want to go with Live Nation and not Ticketmaster, Live Nation will kind of hesitate to bring their best shows to you because you're not using the full package. And that's the kind of thing that I think antitrust regulators will take a really acute interest in because that's the kind of thing the consent decree is supposed to specifically prohibit. And they just keep winding up in the crosshairs for violating that over the years. Yeah. You know, Diana Moss, it makes sense to me that even if there were a piece of paper that says, by the way, don't do this, that people who are making sales and cutting deals wouldn't have to look at the paper and say, hey, buddy, you really should use Ticketmaster if you wanted this show, but that it would be understood that they should go with that bigger company. How do you try and study or show that that kind of thing is going on when almost by definition, it doesn't have to be written down on a piece of paper like we're doing this thing that's against the consent decree. We can just kind of wink and nod and, you know, go out for a beer. Right, and that's exactly what we see happen in 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 markets that are dominated by by monopolies. Um, it, it's really just the threat. It's the threat of being retaliated against that is enough to keep everybody in line. It keeps everybody going to uh, Live Nation for promotion and venue services. It keeps everyone going to Ticketmaster. So when companies get big enough. Um, it really, um, the, the concern really just translates to the threat of, as opposed to actual, um, actual abusive action taken against smaller rivals. And, 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 you know, when you know that, you, then you know you have a real monopoly problem on your hands. And I think the only react, you know, the only um, response to that from a, uh, from a policy standpoint is, is to break up the company, which then uh, removes all of those incentives to threaten, to harass, to and to retaliate, if not everybody stays inside the Live Nation Ticketmaster system, because that's that's the the mo. It's to keep everybody locked in the Live Nation Ticketmaster system, 
so that there's very little comp- competitive threat from the outside. And just before we get to uh, listeners, I just want to note too, right, that breakups became very rare, right? It kind of it, it, 1980 onward, right? I mean, there they were mm-hmm. a piece of antitrust enforcement that sort of fell out of the government toolkit. Um, yes. So mo- monopolization law in the United States is is the least enforced area of the law, and um, our last. Big monopolization case that led to a breakup, of course, was AT&T in 1984. And that's how we got the baby bells, and that's how we got a lot of innovation in, in uh, the telephone industry. So um, it is not uh, a common thing to see breakups. Um, it is, uh, it's time that enforcers got that off the shelf and dusted it off because there would be no better example of a way to restore competition with a breakup and serve uh, the interests of artists and creativity and innovation and consumers who really want to go see their their musicians and support them. Uh, there would be no better case than this one at hand right now. Let's uh, bring in some callers. Um, Preston in San Francisco, welcome. Hey, thanks for taking my call. This is a really interesting conversation because I try and see about 30 to 50 shows a year with a, a set of friends, and we've been wow. doing that for years. I have I have two comments, you know, on the last comment about alternatives, I really like and I do this going going down to like the independent or the chapel box office and buying a ticket from a knowledgeable music fan in person and, and only being charged a dollar service charge. You know, it's a good conversation, a good connection. But back to, to Ticketmaster, I think the really the thing they've really got wrong in, in saying they're trying to make it better for the fans over the past few years is, is changing the user interface and making it so complicated to select the seat that with all the pre-sales and the platinum packages, by the time you get to choose a seat, you don't know whether you're buying the $100 ticket or the $300 ticket or the $500 ticket, and you lose those minutes, the seconds, and then it just keeps getting harder and harder to find it mm-hmm. every minute you lose. That's a really interesting point, um, Preston. I, I I wanted to bring this one to you, August Brown, because this strikes me as one of those things where maybe – Ticketmaster is offering those things because the artists want to offer those things, right? And they're just kind of executing the will of the artist, no? Yeah, I mean, when a, there's very little that happens at the, on a ticket on sale that the artist isn't aware of or approve of. And uh, it's funny that they, they bring this up uh, specifically in the context of the Taylor Swift debacle. That's I spoke to several very high-ranking uh, like concert and ticketing industry executives who said they think that's why the system collapsed is because they allowed fans to pick individual seats at various price points. And that created a lot of bottleneck of people all trying to select the same seats in a big kind of pile on. And that's what crashed the software. Whereas there's a switch you could flip where you just like pick your price point and you get allocated the best available seat in that price point. And that could have smoothed over some of the selection process. So I think the caller has a really good point that especially for really high volume, high demand stadium shows that sell out in a matter of seconds, you know, that kind of complicated interface of having so many options to pick your own seats is what caused a lot of the Mm -hmm. software to explode on the back Mm -hmm. end for Taylor Swift, at least. You know, another listener writes in to say, I tried to get Blackpink tickets uh, to take my 10-year-old daughter to see her favorite band. Not only did I have to pay $25 to become a member of their fan club to get early bird access to buy tickets, but I watched the same seat prices go from 
$80 to $500 within hours. Surge pricing made it unaffordable. Millie also tweets, in addition to the ridiculous fees, Ticketmaster's most egregious practice is the platinum price tickets. Real fans struggle to purchase face value tickets when Ticketmaster itself is up pricing tickets to a market value alongside scalpers. And I want to bring in George, just because I do want to talk about this secondary market that we may have to do it after the break. Welcome, George. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for calling. Yeah, uh, I, the issue I wanted to bring up is this whole issue of the secondary market. Now, Ticketmaster has the primary market, and they also have Tickets Now, which is their secondary market. And for years, Ticket market, uh, Ticketmaster has been complaining that when tickets are scooped up early, it's usually brokers or these bots. And the reality is it's in Ticketmaster's interest to have these tickets sold to brokers or bots so they could double dip. They not only earn outrageous fees when they sell in the primary market, but then they earn additional fees when they put them back on their secondary market. And and, and I think that's really outrageous to do so. Mm-hmm. George, it's, an, it's a really interesting point. And, you know, um, Diana Moss, this feels like another place where because Ticketmaster has another horse in the race, they even if it's it's to their benefit to put the the thumb on the scale in some ways. It is. It is. You know, I, I think it's important to remember that before Ticketmaster went into secondary ticketing, right? Um, it it had very strong incentives to drive everybody to the primary ticketing market to keep complete control over over the ticketing process where it could really exercise its market power in feet. You know, ticket base value of tickets is a different story entirely, but the real monopoly power comes in the high fees. Um, when they went into secondary ticketing and bought up, you know, developed their own stake in the secondary market, they had even more incentives to sort of squeeze out secondary uh, market sellers, the resellers, the ticket brokers. And they've done this through a really concerted uh, set of, of, um, of mechanisms, uh, you know, that impede ticket transferability. There are the revolving barcodes, there are the ticket holdbacks. They have, like any monopolist, come up with this strategy to absolutely protect their monopoly and mm-hmm. to keep competition at bay. We're talking about Ticketmaster, of course. We're joined by Diana Moss, president of the American Antitrust Institute and August Brown, staff writer for the L.A. Times. Stay with us. We're going to talk with Deerhoof after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. That is your dystopic creation doesn't fear you by Deerhoof. And we are joined by Greg Sonier from Deerhoof, joining our conversation about Ticketmaster. Welcome, Greg. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, doing well. We're also uh, joined this hour by August Brown, staff writer for the LA Times, who wrote the recent article, Everyone Hates Ticketmaster, Is Everyone Wrong? And Diana Moss, president of the American Antitrust Institute. And earlier we were joined by a couple members of the band Lawrence. Um, Greg, so yeah. what's the best way for your fans to see you live and for you to make the most money? What we usually do is we we play at venues that don't use Ticketmaster, and we're always happy when we have that option. And then, like, um, I think it was Preston or somebody, one of the callers came in and said, and you might end up with a $1 service charge from the venue when you walk up to the ticket booth and, and buy the ticket. Um, but in some cities, we have no choice. And that 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 has to do with the uh, monopoly that's been discussed. Uh, th- there aren't an infinity number of uh, venues in, <laughs> in every city that a band might want to play on tour in the U.S. They're, they're an appropriately sized venue. There might only be one or two. And if mm-hmm. it happens to be a Live Nation slash Ticketmaster venue, then that's what you have to do unless you just want to skip, you know, playing music for all your fans in that city. Mm. And like, you know, how is it different for you in a, you know, Ticketmaster Live Nation show versus, you know, when you're able to not do that? Uh, just just that uh, people who make a, what would be considered an average income uh, cannot afford to come to the show. Our shows are cheaper than the, the uh, Lawrence. Um, you know, our, we usually have our tickets set at, at 20 or less, depending mm-hmm. on the city. But, um, yeah, if it gets too much, then people don't go. Um, I, I feel that, you know, a couple things. I, I've really been enjoying the conversation so far, but a couple things that I think have been missing mm-hmm. is, is just to point out that while Live Nation and Ticketmaster bill themselves as somehow music-related companies. What, what it is is a finance company. Mm-hmm. And any when we're talking about innovations, we're talking about financial innovations. That, that's it. Uh, uh, they, they should be thought of as a finance company. And, and by that, I mean, you know, they're in the business of, of innovating new surcharges that do not correspond to any added value for the band, for the fans, or for the staff of the venue. Mm. The staff of the venue is another party that we've been leaving out of this conversation. Their wages have stagnated under the the new, um, the sort of dictatorship of 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 uh, the Live Nation Ticketmaster monopoly. I completely agree that it should have been broken up. Um, I saw yesterday uh, Biden announced something called the Junk Fee Protection Act that I was very disappointed to see, be- and, but, but didn't 
surprise me um, because it was it was a way to make it appear as though he is doing something by in essence, if I understand it correctly, and somebody can help me out if I'm if I'm interpreting it incorrectly, is that Ticketmaster will, if passed, uh, will no longer be able to hide their surcharge um, and and save it till later when it's checkout time. Hmm. This doesn't mean that they won't be able to still have the surcharge uh it just means that a, a very incredibly minor tinkering you <laughs> right, know with right. the uh with the presentation that frankly it's sort of like biden is trying to give a helping hand to that monopoly saying hey you guys you're embarrassing yourselves you're making fools <laughs> of yourselves in public here's a little hint don't be so egregiously obvious about it we're totally thumbs up about the fact that you have this monopoly, uh, here's a way to make it easier for you to retain it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would go beyond monopoly. I'm surprised the word conflict of interest has not come up mm -hmm. in this conversation because normally a promoter slash venue versus a ticketing agency, those would be adversaries in any normal relationship. And then a ticketing agency versus a secondary market, those would be adversaries in any normal arrangement. If you own all three, if you're in control of all three, and especially if your market share of all three is, is you know, over 80%, then, then uh, you, you have a monopoly combined with a, a conflict of interest, which is, you know, surprise surprise a recipe for exactly what we see that that yes everyone hates <laughs> yeah, yeah wow greg sonier from deerhoof that was uh magisterial thank you so much for, for joining us and providing <laughs> king that greg, perspective. King greg you gotta call me yeah. <laughs> yes king greg thank you that was that was amazing i really appreciate that perspective i, I wanted to uh go to uh diana moss on uh the biden act the the junk fees act that uh greg referenced yeah, so um, we did see this uh, sort of amendment to the original Biden order, um, pushing out new thinking and new initiatives yesterday. Um, you know, junk fees are pervasive. It's not just in live entertainment, but we see it in airlines. Uh, you know, we see it in other sectors. And, and one thing about junk fees is that um, they, we typically see them when we're in markets where there's a lot of market power. Uh, I think about airlines, right? We, we've seen a uh, substantial loss of competition in the in the domestic airline industry over the last many years, and guess what? Bag fees have gone up, and mm -hmm. and uh, check um, you know pick your seat fees have gone up. So that's a function of more market power, and uh, the ability of the companies to impose higher fees on consumers. And of course, you know we see it in in live entertainment with these fees that can exceed forty percent of the face value of the ticket. Part of the problem, though is that when you have a digital ecosystem like Ticketmaster is, it's just a big digital platform at this point, you know, you get the consumer in, you lock them in through a variety of mechanisms, and then you put them in line, and then you sell them a ticket, and then by the end of the whole search process, which is long and tiring, the consumer is completely worn out. They have no incentive to do anything but click purchase, and then, you know, they've, they've paid the 40% ticket fees. If there was more competition in, in primary ticketing, I guarantee you fees would drop precipitously. That would be one of the very first indicators 
of the effectiveness of a breakup remedy. If there was more competition in, in ticketing, but also in all the other parts of the supply chain that Live Nation dominates. Yeah. Uh, I want to get to some user comments and back to the phones. Um, one listener writes in to say, I just tried to get tickets to the Madonna show. With every seat I chose, I was continuously told another buyer was ahead of me on their app. Eventually, I gave up as I watched all the seats I could barely afford get snatched up. It made me yearn for the past when we lined up outside of Tower Records on Telegraph at 5 a.m. or even spent the night in a chair waiting for the ticket booth to open. Robert writes in to say, there is a uh, legislation recently introduced in the California State Legislature, Assembly Bill 8, authored by Assemblymember Laura Friedman. That would begin to take on the issue of the lack of trice price transparency and all the, quote, junk fees that are attached to tickets. I'd also just note that some of those junk fees are generated by the user interfaces that that people use because you end up sorting by low price and people figure out how to get that number down. Um, Let's go to uh, Wayne in Fairfield. Hi, thanks for having me on. This is obviously a complicated issue for uh, a lot of folks, you know, in terms of why prices have increased, et cetera. But one issue that comes up that, that I think is inexcusable is dynamic pricing that Ticketmaster uses, essentially treating the um, tickets that you want to buy like the stock market, where sometimes they go up and sometimes they go down. And, you know, a good example of that is my wife and I on vacation were on the East Coast back in, uh, I think it was October, and we wanted to buy tickets to go see Bruce Springsteen. And the tickets were outrageously priced. The prices that we were looking at just for two tickets, we could we could easily spend $8,000 at Ticketmaster, not a secondary market, just hmm. for two tickets. And the dynamic, the dynamic pricing of that is such that it never benefits the customer. It always benefits um, Ticketmaster. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> a, well, yeah, I, I don't know if Bruce uh, benefits from it also. You know, some of them do. Maybe they do. I don't know. But either way, if they agree to do the dynamic pricing, what ends up happening is because they have their secondary vendors that they themselves own, the demand for that never goes down. Mm. So in other words, it's a rigged system because they are buying a whole bunch of block of tickets for their secondary market, which escalates the demand and increases the prices that are associated with it. And it's highway robbery. I mean, honestly, for I, I went to 12 concerts last year, 12, and all of them combined, I probably spent maybe about $1,000, hmm. okay, maybe 2000 at the most. And these were bands that really deserved, you know, my money because they're smaller bands, et cetera. And what this does is it, I think, essentially, it, Bruce Springsteen at the end of the day doesn't care about whether or not I'm paying $8,000 for two tickets, but... If you want to make this available to all of your fans fairly, then you should care. Mm-hmm. And Ticketmaster elected to put the dynamic pricing into place. It was their choice to put it in place. Whether or not an artist agrees to it, I don't know. But if they do, shame on them as well, because it is highway robbery. Yeah. So that's yeah. just my comment on it, and I'd like to see a solution to that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Wayne. I mean, August, got to come to you on this because I feel like you made a very good point in your article, which is the artists are going to make more money if they sell every ticket for $4,000 instead of $400, right? But it's Ticketmaster who takes the heat for it. 
Yeah, that's how Ticketmaster was designed. And uh, like, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. I would love to see him on Broadway. But um, to the caller's point, uh, you got to be mad at Bruce on this one. This was 100% his and John Landau, his manager's uh, decision about all of this because the sad, you know, I'm I, I'm frustrated by this too. It's just there are a ton of people that want to see Bruce on Broadway and much more than there are seats in the arena. And that balloon's got to get squeezed at some point. And, you know, um, when it comes to dynamic pricing, that is 100% an artist's decision to do that. Ticketmaster does not force that on, on anybody. And it's done because, you know, artists get really frustrated when, uh, you know, they see tickets going for, you know, four or $5,000 on the secondary market when they're only charging a few hundred for it. And I think rightly, you know, if someone's going to be paying that much for a ticket, it should probably be Bruce Springsteen's profit as opposed to someone like StubHub's. And so dynamic pricing, um, you know, it only really kind of kicks, it, it only is like a good proposition when you're dealing with this like thin band of extremely hot ticket shows that mm -hmm. there's just no way to accommodate demand without having outrageous prices. And, you know, uh, I, I'd rather pay that money to Bruce than to a secondary market broker. But yeah, like, sadly, like the the probably appropriate cost to see Bruce Springsteen do his Broadway show in a theater is probably, I hate to say it, it's probably somewhere in the realm of a few thousand dollars. And, you know, Bruce has played like he's commented to that effect that he's underpriced his shows for most of his career in a very populous gesture. But, you know, there's just kind of no way to make the math work without like a secondary market coming up being outrageously expensive other than to do something to make tickets more expensive right at the gate. And, you know, and I'm, I, I'm frustrated by that too. I'm, if I'm a fan who just wants to see an artist I grew up loving and I see prices or, you know, the cost of a month traveling in Europe, you know, that yeah. seems insane. Like I, I wouldn't understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and unfortunately with, with this particular instance, uh, you gotta you gotta be mad at the boss on that one. That was his call. Well, it's interesting too, because right, I mean, there's a there's a freight rock star economics to kind of describe this these sort of economic systems where you know the rewards are really going to the top one percent or the top point one percent of artists who can you know there's a lot more people who want to see them than there are tickets, and so they can essentially raise the price as high as they want and still have sold out shows. Um, what do you, uh, Greg Sonier, uh, co-founder of the local band Deerhoof? Um, when you hear, what were you thinking? Uh, well, dynamic pricing doesn't uh, doesn't come into play with us, but uh, you know we're a very you know medium small sized band. Um, but I do think that it is an example of an overall trend since uh, since the uh, the um, the period began uh, about 40 years ago that we've been talking about mm -hmm. a general trend uh, in the United States uh, towards shifting. It, it, when, when, when the caller was talking about it feels like playing the stock market, I, I think that that's true. I think it's true for fans, it's true for musicians, and it's true for venue owners and staff that the risks involved have gradually and somewhat secretly been shifted to the individual and the risks shifted away from the people that you would think under a free market economy should be uh, bearing it, which would be the, the people with capital. Mm -hmm. But more and more, you know, it's, it's part of a general trend and, and music is no exception. And it's not only no exception, but I think it's in fact an exaggerated 
mm-hmm. uh, version mm-hmm. of it because mm-hmm. the the yes everything has been inflating uh, you know there's been inflation for gas and milk etc the amount of inflation on fees surcharges penalties interest etc um, particularly when you're talking about Ticketmaster the the amount that they have inflated their inflation since that merger <laughs> occurred is way beyond the rate of inflation yeah. in the general economy. And it's, uh, you know, so that's obviously, um, yeah. it's to just their, to an their especially benefit. egregious example yeah. of this neoliberal transfer of, of the responsibility and the risk uh, to to the individual. Yeah. Um, real quick, Diana Moss, president of the American Antitrust Institute. I wanted to, you know, come bouncing off of Greg's point, and Meredith writes in to say, "We've been talking about the fees that Ticketmaster charges, but I'd also like to know how much profit Ticketmaster makes off of these fees. The ticket prices of bands I go see live have changed from about seventy five dollars to one hundred and fifty dollars, with up to fifty dollars of that as fees. I would like to know how much profit they report and how much of that fee is used for actual operations costs versus just straight up, you know." Money in their pocket. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think we would all like to, all like to know that. Um, but I, you know, again, even without running that down and, and doing those those calculations, um, we know that the fees are going to be exorbitantly high because uh, because of the Live Nation Ticketmaster monopoly. They have every incentive and ability because there's no choice, no choice for smaller artists, no choice for consumers to deal with anyone outside of the monopoly. And so they will set those fees at a monopoly level and they will split up those fees across the entire supply chain. You know, their their venues that they have exclusives with, their their proprietary concert promoters. And and you know, interestingly at the hearing, the Senate hearing, uh, the Live Nation spokesperson said, well, we don't have any control over ticket fees. Um, which was just wrong. You know, that was not an accurate statement, at least in the context of that conversation. They have absolute control over the ticket fees. Um, again, face value, ticket prices are very different. That's a whole different sort of um, mechanism. But I guarantee you, if we had, say, even three uh, ticketing platforms duking it out, a head-to-head Things competition, would be we, would see, yeah. we would see fees go, go down. That would be the first thing we'd see. We've been talking about Ticketmaster and the high price of concert tickets with Diana Moss, president of the American Antitrust Institute, August Brown, staff writer for the L.A. Times, who wrote the recent very excellent article, which you should check out. Everyone hates Ticketmaster. Is everyone wrong? We've also been joined by Greg Sonier, co-founder of the local band Deerhoof. And earlier we talked with Clyde Lawrence and Jordan Cohen of the band Lawrence. Thank you so much for all of your calls and comments. I'm sure we couldn't get to all of them. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.